A mother gave a little girl, trying to teach her some stewardship principles, a dollar bill and a quarter. And she said, you give either one you want, honey, and when the offering plate comes by today. And uh, after the service is over, the mother said, well, which one did you give? And the little girl said, well, I was going to give the daughter uh, the dollar, but the man up there behind the desk said, God loveth a cheerful giver, and I thought I'd be more cheerful if I gave the quarter. And uh, so it is with a lot of people. They're figuring out how they can give the least that they possibly can. And whether it be time or talent or treasure, they want to serve the Lord on the, on the minimums. And stewardship is something different entirely from that. And if you'll turn in your Bible to First Chronicles chapter 29, First Chronicles 29 and verse number 9, we're going to read... David here in this passage is preparing to receive a great offering. The offering will be used to build the ancient temple of Solomon. David himself will not build the the building. His son Solomon will lead in the building of it. However, David was the one who raised the resources and the money and the and, and uh, acquired all the uh, materials that were needed. So when Solomon took over the kingdom, he basically just led the building program itself. And in First Chronicles chapter 29, stand with me to your feet, if you will, please, and let's begin the reading of God's Word in verse 9. Then the people rejoiced, a spirit of joy, For that they offered willingly. There's a principle of stewardship, isn't it? Willingness from the heart, voluntarily giving. Because with perfect heart, they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. You see that joy permeates this passage. Wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. By the way, here's a good pattern for prayer. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee. Now note these phrases. This is really pregnant with great meaning, every word of it. Riches and honor come from God, and thou reignest over all sovereignty. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank Thee and praise Thy glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of Thee, that might deserve an underline. And of Thine own have we given Thee. We can't give You anything, Lord, that You didn't already give to us. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners as were our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, 
and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee and house for thy holy name cometh of your hand and is all thine own. And thank you, and you may be seated. The Bible is unquestionably the greatest treasure trove of divine wisdom anywhere to be found in the universe. And I have observed when I preach on this areas of stewardship down through the years, much of what the scripture says was captured by previous generations, grandma and grandpa and their forebears. And they passed it down to us with common sense expressions that uh, all those expressions have their roots in the Bible. What grandma and granddad taught us about stewardship, they got it from the Holy Scripture. And so this month, we've named our stewardship emphasis, stewardship according to God and grandma. That's what the idea behind that was. Now, there was a time when the wisdom of the previous generations was highly valued and sought after. Not so today. People have Google. And so what do they need with grandma anymore? And past wisdom. But I think we're missing something of profound value to us in so doing. But I could give you a hundred examples of little things that I remember, I just recall from my own uh, personal uh, memory, of things that were said to me by previous generations, by grandma and grandpa, or might have been mom and dad, or people in the past, the wisdom that came down to me regarding this area of stewardship. For example, this one is so common, a lot of people don't know it came out of the Bible. Whatever you sow, you reap the law of sowing and reaping, one of the greatest principles of stewardship. And you know, it came straight out of the Bible, but I used to hear my parents and other older people growing up as a boy, I remember hearing them say, whatever you sow, you reap. Boy, my parents drilled into me. (coughs) Excuse me. Don't waste your time. I grew up thinking that if I stopped for a moment, I think, you know, that I was doing something wrong. Mother would say to me often, idleness is the devil's workshop. Did you ever hear that? It's been a while, hasn't it? Or maybe you're teaching it to your kids. I hope you are. She would say, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. It's a sin to do less than your best, she would say. And then there was Waste not, want not. If you don't waste it now, you will be having it for the future. Eat everything on your plate. Have you ever heard that? Boy, that was drilled into me to the point that today, when you see my plate, you don't even need to wash it. You can put it back up in the cabinet. I clean the plate because that was drilled into me. Those starving kids in India somehow are going to be benefited from me cleaning my plate, right? And I've imbibed that wisdom, and I've had it down through the years. Save for a rainy day. 
as if you didn't need any savings if the sun shined. But at any rate, it was good old uh, homespun wisdom, wasn't it? And here's something I heard as a boy. It's a stewardship principle that the world today has forgotten. Bill, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. And sometimes another explanation, if you want it, save your money. Now, you know what we do today? Here's my visa. But in those days, kids were told frequently, we can't afford it. And you know, I learned a stewardship principle. You don't have to have everything you want. And then I used to hear, give the Lord his portion. I don't know why they used the word portion. They didn't use it relating to other things, but have you given the Lord his portion? If I had a nickel, they wanted me to give the Lord his portion. Stewardship according to God and to grandma. Common old sayings that we inherited in our country, but they came from the previous generations who based them upon the Scripture. We have a stewardship emphasis every year in the church here. I don't preach on stewardship a lot other than during this time, but I really try to do it in a positive way, and I never apologize because the Bible has so much information about stewardship. And I know I hear the stuff that heard it all my life that you've heard where people stand around the spit and whittle club. I call them, you know, around the church foyer. And the spit and whittle club will talk about, well, the preacher's talking about money and, and uh, it's a disparaging attitude that they have toward it. And in fact, the greatest thing that a pastor can do to help you in many cases is to preach on God's principles of stewardship because they are so practical. They so much apply to every area of life. Do you want to hear a relevant sermon? Okay, keep your ears open today. You're going to hear something that's very, very relevant because it touches in a practical sense every single part of our life. Stewardship, I would say to you, number one, is a vital component of your Christian life. A vital component of your Christian life. Here's what I mean by that. I have a graph here, like a pie graph. And if I divide the Christian life, and the Christian life obviously has Christ at its center. If Christ is not the center, the hub of the wheel of your life, then you're out of balance. Jesus is the center, the core for a sincere Christian. Now, I took my life there and I divided it up into pieces. My Christian life, I divided it into a pie graph. Of course, I began with salvation. That would be first in importance. I'm not a Christian until I get that piece of this puzzle put together. So my salvation directly because of and emanating from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then I put discipleship because you see discipleship begins when a person gets saved and extends all the way until their death. To disciple, 
The word discipleship comes from the idea of a learner. So when I get saved, I become a learner. Jesus, the Bible, is my teacher. And so a disciple is a learner. And the old idea from the old, of the New Testament was in those days, in ancient times, you had this teacher, a rabbi, a guru, we call them today, a man who had great wisdom, and to be discipled was to follow him. And wherever he went, the students went. But they were there to learn. They were to learn how he did things and what he believed and what he based his beliefs upon. They sat at his feet to learn his wisdom. And so a disciple, after salvation, a Christian longs to be a disciple. They long to learn and to be taught the things of God, how to live their life. But then I began to break discipleship down into its parts. And when I break discipleship down, first of all, I would put sanctification. The next stage of the, of the Christian life would be to be sanctified, which means to clean up my life, to clean up my act, to live a Christ-like life, to be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification means simply to be holy, to sanctify, S-A-N-C-T, the old Greek word for holy. And so sanctification here would be a major component of my Christian life. Salvation, discipleship, learning and being taught, sanctification, becoming Christ-like and holy in my lifestyle. And then I would put as the next thing here, service, because I've got to serve the Lord. The things that I learn in discipleship and the reason I am becoming Christ-like is in order to serve the Lord. And so I'm interested in what gifts and talents and abilities I have and how the Lord might choose to use me in his work. And then I would put the word stewardship. Stewardship, having to do with my time and my talent and my, my money and all that I am. Really, stewardship is a big term, and it covers all the activities of the Christian life. And so, if you think of your Christian life, and, and you could add others, that's a subjective graph that I've made up, but it begins with salvation, proceeds to discipleship, and as a disciple... I am sanctified, I am serving, and I am learning to be a steward. And at the core and the center of my being is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lordship of Christ is a true fact in my life as a Christian. Now, through the years, I've learned, I've tried to learn to reduce the whole area of stewardship down to what I call the stewardship nutshell. That's my term for it, the stewardship nutshell. Just to say, to be able to say in one minute, what is stewardship? So that somebody who never heard the word before could have a reasonably clear understanding of it. And the stewardship nutshell has three little pieces in the nut, okay? Number one is God owns it all. You, you will never understand stewardship you will never be a good steward. Do you really grasp that and believe it is that God owns everything? Back to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, if you will. We've already read it. Look at the end of the verse there. 
It says, for all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom. O Lord, you're exalted as head over all. Look down in verse number 14. And at the end of it, it says, all things come of thee or from thee, meaning creation. Lord, you created everything. And of your own have we given you. We can't even give. If I give God a dollar, I haven't given him anything that didn't already belong to him. If I give God an hour of my time, I'm just returning to him what already belongs to him. You see, God owns it all. He owns it because he created it all. He created everything. He created the universe. He created everything from the atoms and molecules right on up to the sun, moon, and stars. God created it all. If I create something, I own it by definition. Do I not? The creator is the owner. If I take a canvas and if I were able to paint a beautiful picture on it, I am the creator of that picture and I own that picture. In fact, I can get a copyright on that picture and you can't even use the image of it until you get my permission. Even our government, our law recognizes that a creator of something is the owner of that same thing. So God owns it all because he created it. He owns it all because Christ redeemed it and purchased it with his blood. He owns it all because he is God. He is the sovereign of the universe. Stewardship nutshell, part one, God owns it all. Part two, I am his steward. I am his steward. And in verse 13, it says, Now therefore, God, we thank thee and praise your name, because after all, you are the one who gives us all of this. In verse 14, who am I and what is the people, David said, that we would offer so willingly for all things come from you. And in verse 15, we're strangers before you, our days on the earth are as a shadow, we're just passing through. There's none abiding. Nobody's going to live forever. And therefore, we are stewards. We just simply manage the things that you have given to us. And that's what a steward is. A steward is a manager. You go up here to Kmart or Walmart or wherever you want to go to a store, one of these franchises, and there's a manager there. You ask for the manager if you have a problem or a need. But you know the manager doesn't own that store. Walmart owns that store. The manager oversees the store for the people back in Arkansas. He's a steward. They don't call him that, but that's exactly the biblical definition. Someone who own, or who manages what someone else Owns. And so the steward is the administrator of someone else's affairs or their possessions. He's a trustee, if you will. Now, early in the Bible, I wish I had time to look it up. I don't. God created the universe, and then he created Adam and Eve, and he called Adam and Eve to him. And he said, I want you to have dominion over everything. In fact, that passage is so important. We've given it a name. We call it the dominion mandate. God gave possession of the earth to man. Now, that runs counter to the post-Judeo-Christian world we're living in today. The environmentalists tell us that the animals are as important as the man. 
Some people believe a tree, a sequoia tree out in California is as important as a man. If you believe that, I want to be kind, but where'd you get that idea? You didn't come up with that. You got that because of the secular culture. You see, the tree is not as important as the man. The frog out in California that's the protected species is not as important as the man. We're to be good stewards. We're to take good care of the earth. We're not to waste resources. We're not to trash the earth like some people have done through the years. No, no. We're to treat it with holy respect. But never forget, God did not make man equal with the other animals. God put man in charge of the entire earth. Have dominion over it. Boy, what a profound thing in the world in which we live today. So God owns it all. We are his stewards of the entire earth, every resource. Man is put in charge of them on behalf of the Lord, and we are accountable. That would be the third part of the stewardship nutshell. I'm accountable. Luke 16 and 2, the master said to the servant, give account of your stewardship. And listen to me. You may not believe me this morning. I don't know. You may not want to hear this, but I have to tell you. Someday, every one of us will stand before God and he'll say, what did you do with your time? What did you do with your abilities and gifts that I gave you? What did you do with your money? And that little outline just about takes care of all of life, does it not? Time, ability, money. In no other area of the Christian life are our duties more clearly spelled out to us than in the area of stewardship. In the area of stewardship, it is almost non-debatable. The Bible teaching is so clear of God's ownership man's stewardship, and man's accountability. And because of that, stewardship is so very important. It's important because it deals with the big rocks in our life. It deals with the big things, the important things, not the trivial, trivial things that we can get caught up in. Stewardship deals with the important issues of life, time. Oh, how important is time. You see, time belongs to God. My time belongs to God. Here's the way the average American churchgoer thinks. Well, an hour on a Sunday morning, maybe, maybe in about 50 or 60% of the people, maybe back on Sunday night. No, I don't mean that. I mean 24 hours a day, seven days a week belongs to God as a Christian. It's not coming and sitting in a pew time that belongs to God. It's when I'm washing the dishes and cooking the meal. And when I'm working at my work, whatever that work may be, when I'm going to school, when I'm driving down the highway, 
when I'm talking to people, when I'm watching a ball game, that still belongs to God too. See, we've compartmentalized this thing and decided, okay, we'll give God this little bit over here, but he can't have this over here. No, my time belongs to God. And my time is my most precious commodity. Listen to me. There's a few things I learned in life, and I I speak to you now as a man who's been a long ways down the trail. And I look back on my life, and I thank God for a couple of books that people gave and a couple of speeches I heard, and it revolutionized my life. And, And I don't mean this boastful, boastfully at all. But you know what I learned and I've practiced? I don't waste much time in life. I don't waste much time. I, I, don't, I don't suffer fools gladly. I don't stand around the spit and whittle club a whole lot. People would love, like me better probably if I did, but I wouldn't get much done. Because I learned life is time. In fact, I learned this definition. You might want to write this down. Time is life in a paper sack. Pull out a dollar bill. Well, I left mine on my desk. Shouldn't have said that. Somebody go lock the door. I left my my money on on the desk, but I take a dollar bill out and I look at it. You know what it represents? It represents time, work, experience, education, effort, sweat, disappointment. It's more than a medium of exchange, a commodity. It's my life. I got that money by working, and you get your money by working, I hope. You get your money by working. And your work represents who you are and what you are and everything you are. I would rather you take my wallet and my credit cards than to take my time. Which is the more, which is the more valuable? It's my precious, most precious gift. God has given me years and months and days and hours and minutes That's the stuff that life is made of. It's a gift of God. Every minute of it is to be used purposefully and intentionally. You just don't have a lot of time to throw away if you start thinking about it correctly. The book that I read that really impacted my life as a young man is Benjamin Franklin's autobiography. If you've never read it, buy you a copy of it. And it's the greatest exposition of time, uh, one of them that I've ever read. Listen to old Ben Franklin. You know, stewardship according to grandpa here. If time be of all things most precious, and it is, then wasting time is the greatest sin. Since lost time is never found again, and what we call time enough always proves little enough, let us then be up and doing and doing with a purpose, so that by diligence shall we do more with less perplexity. Do you love life 
then do not squander time, for that's the stuff life is made of. Boy, what a quote. If you love your life, don't squander your time, because time is the stuff that life is made of. Arnold Bennett, another profound book, How to Live on 24 Hours a Day, said, quote, you wake up in the morning and lo, your purse is filled with 24 hours of the magic tissue of the universe of life. No one can take it from you. No one receives more or less. Waste your infinitely precious commodity as much as you will, and the supply will never be withdrawn from you. Moreover, you cannot draw on the future. It is impossible to get in debt on your time. You can only waste this passing moment. You cannot waste tomorrow. It is kept for you. Profound thoughts. I live, in now, I live now in a generation who thinks nothing of wasting time. Believe me, I'm not against leisure, but I'm trying to help you with your life, and especially you younger people today. Listen to Grandpa here for a few minutes. Some stewardship, common sense on time. You don't need as much TV time as you think you do. It's, a, it's the greatest time waster of our day. Next to Facebook and social media. And video games, and on and on and on. And you add up. Now, I know, judge me any way you want. I don't care. But you add up all the time the average person spends on TV, video games, social media. You know what? We're throwing our life away, and it's poor stewardship. You could be that much further up the road of life in every category if you just use your time, stewardship of time. God owns it all. I'm the steward. He lent it to me, and I'm accountable for it. Talent is a secondary stewardship. My gifts and my abilities. He gives me those raw gifts and abilities do I work to develop those things? You know, Beethoven, Beethoven may be lying in your crib at home, but you'll never know it if you don't help him or her develop those gifts. People that are highly talented and gifted people, they work for it. They took their schooling seriously, and they are proud of their craft. They work at it. They work at it hard. I work as hard to preach this. I worked as hard to preach this sermon as I did the first sermon I ever preached. I don't want somebody to say, "Boy, I wish you'd have heard him ten years ago when he could preach." No, this is my craft. I work at it. And if you're a, no matter what you do here, if you're an accountant or a doctor or, or a, a nurse or a school teacher, you work at your craft. Thank God Jim doesn't rest on his laurels. Every week we hear a wonderful sermon because, or a wonderful song because they work on it. They practice this afternoon for an hour and 15 minutes. Talent is developed. The raw gift is given, but it's got to be developed. 
Stewardship says, I'm working on myself to develop these gifts. I went to a Bible college, a little Bible college, and had a motto. And the school motto was, life is for service. And I've never forgotten the school motto. I don't know if I could tell you much else that I got out of that year. Life is for service. And on the on the, the, the motto, it had a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ kneeling down in front of the, the, the knee there of the apostle and the wash basin at his hands, and he's washing the feet. And that was in the school's motto. It was, life is for service. Stewardship is learning to use those gifts. It's learning to serve, not just at church, but service to God, service to humanity, service to family, service to the corporation that hires me, service wherever. And then there's money. And again, my money belongs to God. My attitude toward my money is, as I've already said, money is simply my life in a paper wrapper. They stick it on a bill, but it's life. It's my time. It's my education. It's my experience. It's my effort, my sweat. And then they give me a paycheck for that time and effort and sweat and education at the end of the week. And they put it on a piece of paper. And that paper is life. Money is life. When I throw around my money, I'm throwing around my life. Stewardship according to grandma, grandpa. Turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, if you will. There's a wonderful passage. There's a principle there that though some of you may know it, I want to ingrain it in your life today in Stewardship Month. Deuteronomy 8 and 18. The ability to earn money is a gift from God. It is the Lord that giveth the power to get wealth. It is the Lord. It is a gift from God to be able to make money. We teach this Dave Ramsey course here, trying to help people develop in that area to use their money according to the glory of God. God gives me life. He gives me health. He has given me an education. He's given me ability. He's given me time. And I turn it into money through effort, through work. Everybody needs a job. Everybody needs the discipline of work. Work is honorable. You don't float through your life and do the least you can, please. Ecclesiastes 5 and 10, though, says that that's not altogether satisfying. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. And he who loves abundance with increase... This is also vanity. So our meaning and purpose in life don't come from money. But I tell you, it is a vital and important component of your life as a Christian to learn how to use time, use ability, develop ability, and then to use your money. And so here's a principle. Stewardship is living by principles. Stewardship is learning how to live according to principles rather than living a feeling-oriented life. Most people 
do get up in the morning, and to a great degree, they do what they feel like doing, even at work. A good steward has learned to live by the principles of God's Word. And we don't live on our feelings. We live according to what the Lord has said. Stewardship, let me tell you why it's important. Hear me. Oh, this is profoundly important for every Christian and every unsaved person, but more so for the Christian. You see, stewardship requires me to examine my life's purpose. Stewardship requires me to think, why am I here? What is the purpose of this day and time? What is the purpose of this ability, skill, talent that God has given me? What is the purpose of money, really? Is it to just acquire silver that Solomon says it will not give you satisfaction? Stewardship teaches me to live for the eternal rather than for the just the present moment. Jim Elliott was one of those five missionaries we've often talked about here. He graduated. He had a master's degree from Wheaton College. He was a brilliant man. You can tell that by his writings. And Jim Elliott gave his life to a tribe of Indians down in the Amazon basin called the Alka Indians, A-U-C-A. He went there knowing they were headhunters, knowing that they were uncivilized, one of the last tribes on earth never to be visited by civilization. And he went there in the early 1950s to take the gospel to them. And he began to get acquainted with them and talk to them and work with them. But after just a couple of months, one day they found his body floating in the water those people that he had given his life for, literally now, they killed him. They ran his body through with spear after spear and arrow after arrow. He left behind his writings, and they were published in a journal, Jim Elliott's Journal. And here's what Jim Elliott said that has a profound statement that, boy, you've heard me quote it, but I repeat it because I don't want you to forget it. A man is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. A man is no fool who will give what he cannot keep. I can't keep my time. It's passing. I can't hold on to my talents and abilities. I can't keep my money. I'm going to leave it all behind someday. Boy, when I read that, I think, am I living my life right? Am I living by the right priorities? A man is not a fool who gives back to God what he can't keep anyhow. He's a good steward. That's the nut of stewardship. The things of time, money, talent, treasure, cannot satisfy a heart that God made for eternity. God made you for him. And your stewardship reveals so much of what your values are, what your priorities are. In the book of Genesis, chapter 39, there's a wonderful story of stewardship 
I love it. It involves one of my favorite characters. Genesis chapter 39 and verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. He was a prosperous man. He was a slave, of course, in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And the master saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer. The man's name was Potiphar, over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. There's stewardship. gave him responsibility. It came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house, Potiphar's house, for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's hand. He knew not aught that he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. You know the story of then being exalted to finally become the prime minister of the nation. And so I visit Potiphar. Potiphar, let me ask you a question. Why did you put Joseph over everything in your household? Everything. The only thing you knew you had was the bread that you had in your hand as you sat down to eat. Joseph was in charge of everything else. Why did you do that? Because he was faithful. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Oh, Joseph, I remember that guy. He was reliable. He was trustworthy. He was dependable. One of the most conscientious guys I ever met. Diligent in everything that he did. His character demanded I give to him because of what he was. In Europe, there's a great cathedral. True story. You walk into the great foyer, much bigger than ours, and there are three doors that lead into the sanctuary. You stand there in that great stone edifice, and you look to the right, and there's a door, and over the door it reads on the right, all that pleases is for a moment. I look to the left, and it says, all that troubles is but for a moment. I look to the center, the great door. All that is important is eternal. Bow your head with me in prayer.